from Manhattan Associates, this is Nucleus of Innovation, the retail and supply chain podcast where we tackle some of the most important topics in the industry and learn how leaders are managing their supply chain challenges every day. I'm your host, Chris Shaw. Over the past decade or two, there has been a significant shift toward the cloud for business operational systems. But not all clouds are created the same. And new terms like microservices, cloud native, Docker, and Kubernetes may have you confused as to what exactly you should be considering when it comes to the next step of cloud operations for your organization. I'm joined today by Krishna Venkatasamy, a product platform leader here at Manhattan Associates who lives and breathes this stuff every day to try and help us untangle the jargon and really understand why your next solution should be what some are calling a future system. Krishna, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Chris. All right, let's start with the basic premise of what a future system is. Now, that's a term I believe Accenture popularized in the last couple of years that essentially denotes a solution that is defined as being boundaryless, highly adaptable, and radically human. An agile system capable of scaling innovations repeatedly. And one of the key requirements of being a future system is being cloud native. Now, Krishna, that's a term I know our listeners have been hearing a lot about from analysts, technologists, and from us here at Manhattan. Can you help us understand what it means when we say a solution is cloud native? Certainly, Chris. So, so I think cloud native has many different connotations in the market. Different people view it differently. Uh, I would summarize it this way, right? There are key traits in an application's architecture, and those key traits have to conform to what uh, the cloud native solution foundation, right? The software foundation calls as the important traits for having an application be cloud native. And these traits are, I'll summarize them in, in if you will, in, in four different bullets, and we can talk more about them throughout the session, right? Number one is scalability or elasticity. The ability for an application to scale up and down. It is important for an application to scale down when the usage is limited, so the overall cost of offering a solution is optimal. Second piece is the agility, the, the ability for an application to adapt and be innovative and bring innovation to uh, customers and market quickly is a key trait for, for having a cloud-native application. Third is having the ability for the entire architecture to be extensible, especially in an enterprise world. Software cannot be prepackaged and built as a shrink-wrapped offering like many of the, if you will, consumer world's applications used to look like. Even they are evolving. But enterprise world has always had the need for every application to fit each operation that it is being installed in or being used in uh, it needs to fit like a glove, right? So, so the operators can leverage it and be more productive with those software solutions. So that, in order to do that, uh, architecture, the 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 so software's architecture needs to be extensible, right? It has to be configurable and extensible. The extensibility is key to a cloud native, truly cloud native application architecture, and that extension needs to stick with the customers solution in other words it it, can, it need, shouldn't be changed or that should not have the need for care and feeding over time and that's a very important uh, premises for this uh, in this architecture and fourth is resilience being able to offer up a, a service in the cloud 
that is resilient, right? That uh, the, an enterprise can leverage and not be worried about being not available to them when they need it at the most critical times. So those four key traits, Chris, uh, I would say in a way summarizing or what is required for an application to be truly cloud native and the architecture needs to support that. So can you help us understand then why taking a legacy solution, a monolithic solution and plopping it into the cloud actually has very little in common with what you're describing when you say cloud native solution? Right. So um, the, tr the traditional applications uh, go back even 10 years ago, right? When we when a new product was built, uh, it was primarily built with a what I will term as a monolithic application, right? So they, the concept of modularizing a software has existed since software, you know, since you know, uh, uh, person, personal computer software or personalized solutions have been built over the last, I'd say, 30 years or so. Um, so the modularization has existed for, for a long time. But the fact that you have the ability to build and deliver small pieces of an application independent of the rest of the application has only come uh, to its true uh, you know, ability in the last five years with or five, six years with the cloud native applications. And we'll talk more about that. But traditionally, the applications were monolithic in how they were built and delivered. And when you take a monolithic application and deliver that in a cloud or through a cloud, the ability to achieve the four major traits that I talked about, scalability, agility, extensibility, and resilience, <clears throat> are only being offered uh, if you will, partially, right? And they're not true to uh, true to each of those traits sense, uh, especially when it comes to agility and extensibility. Those are two key pillars from an application standpoint, and they are hard to and almost impossible to achieve when you take a monolithic traditional application and simply offer it in the cloud. And that's why you need a cloud native microservices based application, which has been built and delivered for cloud. All right, let's talk about that one first, agility. Clearly, as we navigate global disruptions like the pandemic, the ability to shift one's business, operations, people to adapt quickly has become paramount. What are some of the ways that we've seen organizations who are running these types of systems now, these cloud-native solutions, pivot or adapt in the past few months or since the pandemic began? Yeah, I think as you think about a, a customer of a, of a software solution like what Manhattan provides, a supply chain leader, right? Uh, for them, adapting to changes in the market is paramount, right? So they have to constantly look at how their business is changing and adapt to it. It it only has have come to, if you will, the extremes in the during this pandemic period early this year, right? So so I'll give you a couple of our customers who you know Manhattan's customers who have experienced that dramatic shift in business operations and how we are able to offer up software and solutions to adapt to those changes and, and do it in an agile fashion without having the customer to really think about how they got those capabilities. The first one is a customer of ours who uh, provides uh, jewels and home decor to our uh, to their uh, customers, to their consumers. It's a company called Kendra Scott. And they um, they have been users of uh, Manhattan's solution for um, inventory in store, that is the ability to manage inventory in store. 
they were not fulfilling orders from store, fulfilling orders that were placed online or through other channels from the store and allow for their customers to pick up those orders from the curbside contactless, right? So um, the, when the pandemic hit, they realized that they couldn't offer up all their or fulfill all their orders from a distribution center because many of much of their inventory was stuck in stores. So they came to Manhattan and asked us if we can quickly uh, turn on the ability to for them, for Kendra Scott, to fulfill orders from their store and the, in the, the store's inventory. So Manhattan was able to enable that capability in a couple of weeks' time. Quickly, we were able to turn on that capability, um, ensure that the data that was required to turn on that capability was made available, enable that capability, and allowed for Kendra Scott to fulfill orders out of their store inventory. And that's significant, that the ability for that customer to leverage that inventory and more importantly service their customers significantly helped them uh, sustain uh, their revenue and not lose their customers, but also uh, benefit from this process, right? Now they're, uh, they've, all their stores are able to, to uh, fulfill orders from, from store. They're able to rechannel and redistribute their supply chain effectively. And it's a, it's a, it's it's been benefit to them, and we've seen many of these examples throughout our customer base. Right, that's one example. The other example is one of our launch customers for our Manhattan Active Warehouse Management product, uh, Pet Supplies Plus. They uh, chose to um, deploy our solution during a, if you will, a quiet period in their business cycle, uh, which happens to be you know the, the April, March, April, May timeframe. Uh, because they supply or distribute their retailer of pet goods. So uh, typically during that time, there's no peak demand, if you will. The, uh, the consumers don't tend to order out of cycle, right? They only order what they want and, and the, the, the volumes are pretty static or, or stable. However, because of the pandemic, they, the mix of orders and mix of volume significantly changed while they were implementing uh, or, or launching through our Manhattan Active Warehouse Management solution. Now, this, the volume increase was so significant that if they had had to continue to operate with an on-prem solution, they would have struggled to keep up with that volume shift because of what the infrastructure needs to support a, a, a warehouse management solution would have looked like. However, when they went to our cloud-native warehouse management offering, the offering was able to adapt to the customers, the scale automatically to the increased volume from all of their channels without the customer even having to think about it. So they actually benefited from the fact that they, are, they were using the cloud native solution without even knowing that they were truly benefiting. And now reflecting on that, they realized that that has been a significant benefit to them. And so these are two Quick stories, if you will, Chris, and there's many such examples of how supply chain leaders have been able to leverage these kind of solutions and uh, not have to think about it, right? So agility obviously is incredibly important, but let's unwrap a few of the other pieces that you mentioned earlier. And I think scale and what we're just talking about right now comes into play, right? As we've seen a significant portion of customers, uh, retailers who have, who are already on the path of increasing their store fulfillment 
percentage, right? Using their stores and leveraging their stores to fulfill digital demand was already happening as we went into 2019 and beginning into 2020. But the acceleration of that has been stratospheric, right? We're seeing, we saw between the middle of April and the middle of June, average volumes daily for curbside, contactless curbside store pickup, BOPAs shipped from store that were higher than the highest peaks, you know, back in the holiday season of 2019. So as we explore some of those other things that you said are core tenants of being cloud native, uh, things like elasticity, scale, resiliency, extensibility, are, are we just essentially saying that cloud, legacy cloud or on-premise systems are just not capable of those things? What is it that makes it different here when we talk about being designed and engineered to be cloud native? Let's talk about scalability, right? Uh, the elasticity of the solution first. So um, can you achieve an elasticity, elastic solution using a monolithic architecture? Yes, you can. But the cost of achieving that elasticity will outweigh the benefit. So if you're ta taking a monolithic application, putting it in the cloud, and replicating that application multiple times um, to satisfy the increased load or, or demand, um, the cost of installing and managing each of those uh, instances increases so significantly that the ben it outweighs the benefits, right? So you, obviously, operationally, you still need to do it to satisfy your operational needs. But the, the cost of scaling significantly goes up uh, because every, um, say, uh, as an example, let's say you take a monolithic application and host it in the cloud, uh, the, if a stack of that application costs X dollars to install and run, if you need to service, say, three times the volume that's required uh, that the stack can support, then the cost increases three times, as opposed to add, increasing the cost linearly, you now increase the cost exponentially, right? So that, that problem is what is solved with the microservices-based containerized applications uh, using technologies like Kubernetes that allow for spawning or basically creating smaller chunks of applications that are required by operations and leveraging them when needed and burning them down uh, down when not needed. So you're only scaling small parts of the application. That's why the cost grow linearly as opposed to exponentially, right? That's a cost to operate the system, right? And for a service provider like Manhattan, uh, to us, cost matters. If the cost were uh, exponential, then we'll be passing that cost to our customers, right? So, so it actually helps our customers that, that we are a cloud native architecture. And so our costs are optimal. So the price to them is optimal, uh, which is not the case when you go to a monolithic application that's stored in the, that's hosted out of in a cloud. Right. That's one example, Chris. The other one, agility, uh, we talked about the extensibility, right? Um, you know, many a times um, in, in a pandemic or a situation like this, when operations change, uh, supply chains change, and you have to adapt to the supply chain, uh, you're, basically, uh, you're basically adding capability that may not be offered up out of the solution, you know, out of box, if you will, right? So that's when you'll, you'll probably need to extend the core offering that the that a vendor like Manhattan would provide if you were providing a monolithic solution. In order to extend the core of a product, you may have to touch the entire application, right? Meaning as a developer, they may have to touch or build an entire application. 
which inherently means you have to test the entire application, you have to deploy the entire application uh, three times or five times and, and ensure that they all, they're all running smoothly and so on. So the, the change, the, the ability to extend and make that change to, a, to, a, to an application uh, is very expensive in a monolithic architecture. Whereas in a microservices architecture and one that is designed to be extensible from ground up like the Manhattan Active uh, platform, we're able to simply call out to extensions and the extensions sit outside the core of the product, which means when you add an extension, you don't even need to, to recompile the uh, the core of the uh, the core applications that's being offered. The extension simply runs somewhere uh, that's outside the core of the product, and the product simply is configured to go and call the extension. That's an architectural shift. That that's a benefit that you draw from how you've designed and built the architecture of the application, and that typically is not the case in a monolithic uh, app, uh, legacy application, right? And so those are the two examples, uh, uh, Chris, in, in how these monolithic applications in cloud are truly not built for the future, right? They, are, they were built for uh, when they were designed and built 10, 15 years ago. All right, you mentioned microservices there a couple of times, and I definitely want to get back to that in a minute. But what I really want to do is spend a little bit of time on that new kind of thinking and, and new way of design that you talked about there. Because I think when we look at the capability and the composable nature of the systems we're trying to talk about, the real benefit here really is that same thing that we talked about in the very beginning when we described Accenture's future system, and that was faster access to innovation. Can you tell us a little bit about this cloud-native design and the theory behind it and how it enables that? Yeah, and it's somewhat interconnected, right? So the, the 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 fact that the architecture is microservices based, in that that the the you know the premises behind a microservices architecture is you look at a business problem, right, uh, and you vertically slice the problem into small chunks and you build them as small little applications, and you then use uh, like you use the term, compose the a business problem to call the different applications to execute or achieve a, an end function, right? And that, that's kind of the nature in which these microservices are built. Now, you can build them, and if you don't uh, leverage some of the techniques that are used uh, in the cloud uh, today to benefit from the cloud, uh, it's of no use, right? So you really don't leverage the cloud effectively. And that's where concepts like containers and you know the whole concept of containerizing the microservice. In other words, each of those small little services are thrown or built into a container and we orchestrate the containers to be to be basically disposable. So you we, we create new instances of that of that component when needed, and we burn them down when we don't need. And having an architecture, having a, a bootstrap, an environment that allows that to happen and leveraging the cloud to happen, uh, you know, to, to build and burn down effectively is where the real true benefit comes from, right? And to achieve that, you have to have a number of things, which is you must have thought about the business problem and broken it 
have broken it down by vertically slicing their problem and building each slice as a separate microservice. Second, you should be leveraging the technologies that's that's available today. You know things like Kubernetes. Uh, you know that allow for orchestrating that that when a container instance needs to be instantiated and when it should be burnt down and how it should be burnt down, leveraging those techniques and leveraging the cloud storage and cloud processing to bring that to life is what actually brings this whole capability, the cloud native nature uh, to life, right? And that's what the, an architecture like Manhattan Active Platform is, is, uh, has brought to life. So... Sticking with microservices there for a second, because I know that's a word that our listeners are just being inundated with. Can you help us a little bit understand where they came from? Uh, you told us they're componentized, composable services of business capability, but are they brand new? Is this an evolution of something that's been around for a while? H how did they come into being? Right. Good question, right? So, you know, if you go back 15, 20 years, I'm sure... Uh, you, you know, you've you probably have uh, spent a lot a lot of time talking about it yourself. Uh, Service-oriented architecture, right? So the whole concept of uh, building services and you know creating uh, composing applications have existed since the 90s, right? Even before then, uh, you know, it started with the ORBs. You know, there used to be these Corba layers and whatnot that orchestrated services in the 90s, and then in the 2000s there were um, uh, you know, applications that orchestrated uh, services through uh, messaging buses, right, and so on. So, it, the concept has concept has existed, uh, you know, for the last twenty plus years, but the technologies to enable that have not been there, right? So, so the it, it, as an example, in the service-oriented architecture world, uh, the the message bus was used to not only uh, you know, transfer data from one service to, to the next. It so happened eventually that the message bus became the uh, the intelligence layer in the whole application. So it kind of lost the whole purpose, right? So 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 different architectures eventually lost its track and and, and really didn't um, uh, provide the benefits that the that the industry thought it would. Earlier in the 20, uh, 2010s, this whole concept of building these smaller applications and leveraging lightweight messaging techniques like the RabbitMQs and Kafka's became more popular. And the theory around being able to create these um, smaller, if you will, applications with its own database, with its own processing layer, um, and, the, and the patterns that are, you know, software design patterns to enable this kind of thinking and development became more uh, popularized and became more uh, understood, right? Well understood in the industry, in the software industry. That was one piece that, that came to fruition. The other piece is the technology itself. The, the fact that the, the technologies like containerizations, like the ability to leverage cloud, right? Uh, those enabled the ability to build these simple, small components, or, or sorry, microservices, and then package them into containers, became more interesting, and that's how this this technology became a, a, a reality. The microservices concept became a reality, right? And so, <clears throat> the 
technology itself is only as interesting as uh, you know all these concepts that I just talked about. But what is interesting from a business perspective, from a, a, a supply chain leader looking at this, is that that unless the application is is designed and built from the core using some of the principles that I just talked about, the benefits of being able to deliver an, an application that has those four tenets that I talked about, the, the uh, scalability, the primarily the agility, the ability to deliver new innovation very quickly, it's impossible to achieve it if you don't have this microservices-based containerized offering. Because if you don't break them, break the business problem down, you, you're back to building monolithic applications. So agility, achieving agility, truly achieving extensibility, um, being able to provide all this in a resilient manner, all that um, <clears throat> is basically enabled by this, the, the true underlying architecture, which is based on microservices. Okay, so you mentioned there a couple of what I would call ingredients of cloud native. You mentioned microservices and the cloud and the cloud platform itself and the evolution of taking advantage of that underneath. But it's more than that if an organization is moving toward cloud native. It's, it's almost a design thinking change as well. So aren't agile development DevOps part of that ingredient pool as well? Don't they all have to work together? Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, the if you build a microservice but not have the um, infrastructure around it to orchestrate it in in such a manner that it uh, an instance of the container is uh, service is is in, is spun up when needed and burnt down when not needed um, that those kind of capabilities is what a, a development of a DevOps team does right a, an organization that specializes in DevOps does, right? It, there's, a, uh, there's a discipline around how you, you build these little services, how you encapsulate them into this orchestration, right? That I talked about, the, the uh, container orchestration. How the environment is managed, right? Um, how they have to uh, look, monitor all the services around monitoring these these uh, uh, cloud containers and and ensuring that they are each of the instances in the cloud are are operating efficiently. All that has to be first um, built, and that's what the DevOps team does, and and ad administered and managed. That's what the site reliability engineering team does, um, and NOC team does, and those are critical components to building and delivering an efficient cloud service right and that that's that's a, those are all very important parts of making this and bringing this to life right because i think the core flexibility or agility as you said of the technology is wasted if the organization and the teams aren't ready to push it and to use it in that way and really push the innovation the idea is to get more capability more features faster to the market to take advantage, to give greater customer experiences. I mean, that really is the core of what we're trying to accomplish. So if microservices architectures and cloud native design thinking is so promising, why aren't all applications just being built or rebuilt that way? A yeah, good question, right? So um, it, it certainly has become prevalent 
in the past couple of years. It is not a, a easy or a cheap transition to go from a monolithic application to a microservices based cloud native architecture. That process, the process of transitioning the applications uh, to that architecture and building all the pieces that I just mentioned around DevOps and uh, site reliability and, and so on, that is a very uh, specialized skill and skills and expensive to to bring to to life right expensive as in both knowledge and and uh, and true dollars and that so that process um, is not easily adopted by every organization right and so you need to have um, some gravitas to really uh, be in a position to say okay i'm going to make this happen and do this transition and not many organizations are there or ready to make that bet make make that uh, that uh, transition. And so that's why you don't see many uh, applications or many, especially in the enterprise software world, uh, organizations don't shift quickly to build this from scratch like Manhattan has done and offer up a truly cloud native application and truly cloud services uh, using this architecture. Uh, so you'll see that slowly evolving, Chris. Um, many organizations are taking this uh, you know, bit a piecemeal approach and the benefits are lost by the time they get to the to the end and you know in other words they're not breaking down the entire monolith and and building building the application ground up cloud native they're building parts of them as services and offering which loses the the benefit as a, as a whole the things that we just talked about um, so you, so it's it's a it's inertia at the end of the day inertia from economic and ability to do it yeah i think we i think we i've heard the term mega services for some of these monolithic systems to get broken into three or four parts but to your point you, i don't know that you really gain the benefit unless all of it has been moved you now have three or four really large applications instead of one giant one i think at that point all right, that's all the time we have for today's episode, Christian, but I definitely think we need to have you come back in the future when we can discuss specific supply chain solutions like highly dynamic operational things like order management and warehouse management and why those systems in particular benefit so much from cloud native design thinking. Thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate the opportunity, Chris, and I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you.